Hello, I'm Doug Hadaway. You're listening to Achieve Great Things, where we talk about the power of strategy, science, and storytelling to help you achieve ambitious goals for people and the planet. Hadaway Communications is thrilled to welcome Carrie Shum as our new Executive Vice President. Carrie has deep experience in brand strategy and social marketing, which combines tools from consumer marketing and the social sciences to encourage healthy behaviors. We'll talk about her favorite stories for using strategy, research, and analytics, from helping the American Lung Association encourage people to quit smoking, to helping the IRS promote one of the government's most effective anti-poverty programs. You've used strategy, research, and analytics to help all kinds of organizations achieve all kinds of great things and all kinds of issues. So what's your favorite story that illustrates the kind of impact you can have with smart strategic communications? There is a great example of a pilot program that we did for the American Lung Association. And they were trying to reach people who had tried and failed to quit, to get them to make another quit attempt. Uh, And we did all the strategy work and came up with this amazing insight about the audience. We put the draft creative together and took it into them and presented it to them. And they said, we absolutely love this, and we cannot run it. And they had a whole bunch of specific reasons why they couldn't run it, because it refuted everything that the American Lung Association stood for. So our insight, which was so compelling, was these people felt completely alone and abandoned because they tried to quit. And so all their friends who smoked were mad at them for making a quit attempt. And they'd failed. So all the other people in their life who really wanted them to quit were mad at them. Hmm. And they just felt alone and sort of forsaken. And so our ads, the headline was, we support the quitter in you. That (laughs) was the tagline. Um, And the headline said, you're not a failure, you're a seven-time learner, which is built off research that shows most people make more than one quit attempt. Um, And the ad showed a person in our target, you know, um, and they also had a cigarette crushed out in an ashtray on them. They said, we never say failure, we never show cigarettes, we can never run these ads. And we put those were the reasons why mm. they were so compelling. So we put them into testing against another campaign that was about sort of milestones, moments in life when you sort of reevaluate and decide to quit. So maybe you um, retire or you have a new grandchild or you, you know, switch jobs. You know, some of these milestones that people say, I'm I'm making a fresh start, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit. And we had two campaigns put them into testing, and the first one, the failure campaign, tested absolutely through the roof. Hmm. And so they said we we were wrong, and they had the courage to say, maybe we should try this. And they did, and we put it into the pilot program, and it was a really well-structured pilot that had quit lines and support for people, um, and that was the goal, to get people to call and get support and make a quit attempt in the three-month pilot. And the results were also through the roof. Quit attempts, you know, I think they went up some enormous number. Um, And people remembered the ads, and they saw the ads, and they saw themselves in these ads. And that was a beautiful example of the strategy, nailing it, using research to validate that it worked, and having the program tracking to show that it actually achieved the result, which was actually getting people to do something, to, to make that quit attempt. And that campaign won so many awards. It sort of made the American Lung Association famous for a, more famous for a while. Everybody just realized that all these wonderful things all came together in one campaign. 
And what did the research look like? How do you get to an insight like that about smoking, which shows that your friends getting mad at you for trying to quit and other people disappointed in you for not quitting? That's really interesting insight. How did you get to that? Yeah, we looked at um, a lot of past tracking data on quit attempts. We interviewed people who were in people who'd done that. That was really the the basis for it. Um, we looked at all the literature around it. So. One other interesting fact, it was sort of a truism in the, the tobacco control community that most people make more than one quit attempt before they succeed. And when we went to validate that for the ads, since we were saying that, nobody could find a data point that actually said that. And so we fielded a survey to ask that question, and that answer is part of the literature of the anti-tobacco world now, is that survey that we fielded to support that campaign. Um, and I think it was 2.3. So that's when you ask a person who is a smoker who has quit, how many times did it take before yeah. you actually succeeded? It was slightly more than twice. So So that was a survey, and then you talked to people who actually tried it and asked them about their experiences? Yeah. Yeah. We um, we interviewed a number of former former smokers and, and f- failed quitters, people who had yep. been trying and not succeeding. And what were they doing? Um, why did they think they would or wouldn't? The one, again, the one really interesting thing that, that did get put into the, the art direction of those ads was that sort of hopeful tone because people who've tried to quit believe that someday they will succeed. They're not sure when, mm-hmm. but that idea that we know you can do it kind of feeling is, is what we wanted in those ads, and that came through. So from a communications perspective, when you've got a goal like this, American Lung Association wants people to quit smoking. What are the essential elements of a smart strategy? Maybe that's a different answer depending on what the goal is. Yeah. But maybe there are common elements, whether our listener is a public health campaign like that or getting people to vote or changing their mind or whatever it is. Are there essential elements they should be looking for in a communication strategy? The biggest one is know where you want to end up. Know what your objective is and be very clear about why that's the right objective. And then be open to the way you get there. Um, because it might be unexpected. As, as we saw in that American Lung example, the campaign looked nothing like they thought it would, but it achieved the objective. And that's the most important thing. So be really, mm-hmm. I think bravery is another thing. Be willing to try something new. Because um, these are tough problems. You know, public health issues are not easy to solve. Um, and a lot of things have been tried. So look at those and learn from those and see how can, we, how can we turn these into something new? How can we take a fresh turn at this? And when you look at the work that really does break through, it's odd or unusual. And once you see it, you mm. think, oh, that's so smart. That makes so much sense. And yet it, it's not um, intuitive necessarily that that's where, how you would have gotten there. So I think that idea of know where you want to go, be open to how you get there, and be courageous in the decisions that you make along the way. That reminds me of another public health campaign I know you were part of, uh, the Truth Campaign, which is legendary beyond the field of public health because it was so impactful. And that, as I recall too, learning about that a long time ago, that it was unexpected. It was not the usual approach. It was aimed at teenagers, and it was not the usual approach of trying to scare them out of smoking. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. You know, 
I've talked with friends who I, I worked with that campaign on, and we all say we, we had no idea what we were in the middle of when we were in the middle of it. It was so chaotic and fun and insane at the same time. And it was because of that, that element of courage and that element of experimentation. Um, the team that was leading the creative development, which was an ad agency called Crispin Portobogusky, they, they did all that work. They did all that strategy work in conjunction with the state and the, the people running the campaign and the, the team of commu other communications people. And there was really nothing. There was nothing out there to help attack this problem except for one little study published a few years past that sort of that said, you know, counter marketing might be an interesting approach to try. And they said, well, nothing else is working. That idea of what do we can we learn from? Let's give this a shot. And no, there weren't any good models for it at the time. Nobody had done it in the field. Nobody had done it with teenagers. Nobody had done it with the kind of resource that the Florida campaign had. Mm -hmm. um, and many, many people thought it was going to fail. And what's counter marketing for people who have never heard of that? It's taking all the tools and techniques used to sell a behavior, in this case cigarettes, and subverting them and using them for the, the reverse. So people are drawn to that iconography that they associate with a certain thing, and yet you're under, and then once you have their attention, you flip yeah. the message over. Mm -hmm. My favorite example from Florida, there was a huge billboard, and it featured a um, sort of chubby, balding, middle-aged, late middle-aged man wearing not much clothing and black socks and smoking a cigar. And it, it was, the, the shorthand was executive bikini. So it, it basically took all of the tropes of a billboard of a beautiful woman in a bikini, but subverted them with a truth message about mm. this is really what's behind those ads that you see. You know, it's not that beautiful image, it's this guy kind of chuckling and rubbing his hands together as he takes your money. And that first pilot was in Florida, mm -hmm. where you experimented with this idea to m not make it about cigarettes are going to kill you, but the tobacco companies companies are out to addict you and get your money. Yep. That was the new surprising angle. Yeah. And it was interesting because we also, again, this is one of those elements of courage, we trusted teenagers to make the decision for themselves. That campaign never said, don't smoke. Mm. And it never talked about smokers as a negative thing. Everyone had been victims of this marketing by tobacco companies. The, the, the common enemy was the tobacco industry, not anyone who smoked. Um, and that, mm -hmm. that was unique and that was different. And this idea of we welcome everybody who wants to change this, whether you smoke or not. Um, and, and it worked. And, and that idea of trusting smart, savvy, media savvy teenagers to be presented with something totally new because nobody talked about this. Nobody talked about the pernicious influence of the incredible amount of marketing that's directed at teenagers at the time um, to say, wow, that is not really, I, I make my own decisions. It really tapped into that intrinsic element of being a teenager, which is I want to decide things for myself. Right, that stage of That life. was the yeah. insight there is how do we tap into that and let them make that decision for themselves instead of us telling them, don't kill yourself with cigarettes and tobacco companies saying, aren't they cool? Trusting them to decide and make the right decision. And you saw it in the outcome. Getting teenagers at the table to help design the campaign was what might be called participatory research today, mm -hmm. actually. Working with the people who are going to be part of, or the target, to actually help you do it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, is that a common research technique today, or what else should people be looking at in terms of the way they do research? The nice thing about research today is you have so many more sources, and it still takes legwork to gather it, but we do all kinds of things. We look at, um, I look at comments in news articles a lot. You know, that's, that's a really participatory way that people are mm. showing, showing you their point of view on a news story. Um, you can find really interesting things there. Um, I think that idea of using what you have is really important. There's lots of simple things you can do to get really smart. Um, and some of them are, are really easy. Look at people doing whatever it is you want them to do. Um, you know, s you don't see many people smoking, but you could. used to mm -hmm. be able to find them and talk to them. Um, but, you know, find friends who are trying to exercise more or trying to change their eating habits and just ask them what they're doing. How is it going? Where, where did they turn for advice? Um, there's all kinds of, you know, online websites and self-help tools. There, there's so much out there that you can mm -hmm. always start there and at least help you hone your questions. I think that's really the biggest issue is what questions are you answering and then what are the best techniques to get you there? Um, if you really want to know how something functions in the real world, getting people at a focus group room in a sort of artificial situation isn't going to get you there. But, you know, monitoring a chat board where people have gone to talk about that issue or that, that's real world for them. That's a real thing. And you can learn a lot from finding those places and listening to those people. And you mentioned figuring out the questions. Mm -hmm. um, but you have a favorite question about strategy <laughs> um, that you coach everybody, what is that key question about strategy? And I, I can't claim I created this, but it is incredibly useful. And it is, could you do the opposite and have it be a valid choice? Because that is really the screener for me of, have, do you really have a strategy? Um, there's lots of things that sound strategic, and they sound smart, and they might even be wise things to do, but are they really a strategy? And you know, a great one, um, people say, in the, in the business world, offer great customer service. Mm. That, is, that isn't a strategy because you would never deliberately offer really terrible customer service. So what do you mean by that? And what's the outcome you're seeking? And that's probably your strategy. That's, that's much closer to, to a choice. Because um, strategies should make, help you make choices and help you be tight and organized and thoughtful. And it gives you more freedom executionally because you know where you're going. Yeah, and ultimately a strategy is a set of actions you're going to take mm -hmm. to achieve an intended outcome. Yep. And if it's not specific enough, it's not really going to get you to a specific destination. Yeah. Yeah, that is a powerful question to help you figure that out. Well, and I think today, particularly in causes and the nonprofit world, you hear so much about people being purpose-driven. Mm. And it's very easy to go from people are purpose-driven my cause is important, people will follow my cause. And the, the missing question there is, is again, why? Why should they, of all the causes, pick yours? Mm. Even if they are more purpose-driven, but there's a difference between somebody who's really into environmental issues or somebody who's really into animal welfare issues or somebody who's really into a certain health subject. Like, make your cause their cause is a much more specific ask than people want to be purpose-driven, and so therefore they will find me. Right. Or let's go raise awareness. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so we've talked about, there's plenty more we could say about strategy and research, but let's move on to analytics. There are a ton of tools for measuring communications in different ways. A lot of people are confused. You see a lot of focus on vanity metrics, such as likes and shares, and not really understanding how the content is contributing to real impact. So let's help people figure that out. What kinds of analytics or metrics are the most useful? What's a story about using analytics that can help people wrap their head around that? And the, the key thing with analytics is you actually have to do something with the data. So there's a difference between data and analytics. Data is the numbers, and analytics is the story that those numbers tell. We had a great example where a client came to us and said, we want to target millennials with this tool. And it was a uh, money management app. And we weren't really sure how they got to millennials, except they said, you know, basically, everyone targets millennials. There's lots of them. We should right. get there. Um, and we looked at all of the analytics of people who are using similar apps. And there's actually, it wasn't millennials, it was people who use mobile phones, which makes, when you take a step back, perfect sense because those are the people who are using all apps, are people who are using their mobile phone to do a lot of things. Um, and so we redefined the audience for them using, that was the, the data that we used to show them that their audience wasn't millennials, which actually in the world of adults is a significant part, but not all of it. Right. When we renamed the audience, we called them the mobile majority, which is the majority of adults who use their mobile phone. Um, and we had a cutoff number, I don't remember exactly, but it was some, somewhere between 20 and 30, check their phones 20 and 30 times a day. That was their target. And it did a couple things for them. It significantly expanded their target. So right. they had more people who would be open to the message. It gave us a focus for the message, which is about ease and convenience and flexibility as opposed to mobile banking. Um, and it, it gave them a unique niche that they weren't just talking to people who, when they were thinking about finance, they were talking to people about all those times in their life where they're thinking about flexibility and mobility and convenience and all of these other things. So it, it expanded the story, it expanded the audience, it gave them a unique niche against all the other people who were trying to sell people mobile banking. Um, and they were new, a new tool, and their goal was brand awareness. So it helped them hit some really, really tough brand awareness numbers in a very short period of time. And it's actually a really familiar sort of challenge we see where people will think of their audience just in terms of demographics. Mm -hmm. I need millennials, which is, sure, it's largest generation to date, most diverse generation ever, but that wasn't really the question. They needed the people who use the mobile phone apps. Yep. And that clarity actually helped them think bigger and expand their audience. Yeah, and you, there, you know, there's lots of, other, lots of great things you can learn from analytics. You know, to me, it's always, where did they come from and where are they going to? So when people find you, what was the path there? And how can we tap into that path to reach them in, in new and different ways? You know, there's ways of looking at people's online patterns that show you that, that show you, yes, they follow you on Twitter, and here's the universe of other people they follow. So they're coming at, your, your issue may be child welfare, they're coming at it because they um, care deeply about global news and they also care about um, 
sports and entertainment. And so then that gives you different ways of looking at your audience. You can say, I wonder why they're following me and all these sports and entertainment figures. And if you can answer that, then you've given yourself some new channels and some new audiences and some potentially new spokespeople to reach people with your message. So I think that idea, again, of knowing where you want to go and being flexible in the way you get there by looking, not making assumptions about how your audience finds you and what they want to do in relation to you and your cause. Let's bring it home with a story that touches on all three, strategy, research, and analytics. And I know one of your favorite um, things you've worked on over the years is one of the most successful, biggest anti-poverty programs, which is the Earned Income Tax Credit. And there were surprising insights. There was a smart strategy. I'm sure analytics played a big role and got more money into the pockets of low-income people. Tell us about that. Yeah, that one really had it had it all. It had the, the audience insight and the strategy, which we got from you know, the IRS collects really, really wonderful research on people's tax habits. And so we looked at how are people using this tax credit? And the, the surprising and amazing finding is that's a tax credit that works exactly the way it's supposed to. People, most people file for that credit for two or three years and then they move on because they've sort of gotten out of that tax bracket. Um, so we knew, we knew it was temporary. When we talked to people who were eligible, um, most of them were fairly well informed and they were informed because of friends or family who told them to file for it. You know, we, um, we were working late working on this campaign and we had pizza delivered. And someone on the team said, hey, I want, can I ask you a question? Have you ever heard of the Earned Income Tax Credit? And he gave us chapter and verse and he said, oh yeah, my, my buddy back who I work with is the one he told all of us to file for it. And so we actually trooped over to the Domino's down the <laughs> street and talked to all the people working there. They were all filing for it. They're all, and it, it was the one sort of catalytic member of the staff there who had told the rest of them. And mm. that was an insight right there that yep. there's, there's people who are connectors who tell other people and they're not formal tax advisors or the IRS. So how could we tap into those networks to get the word out with our program? And then this idea that it's not, if you are an individual working person, you are not thinking of yourself as poor. You are a working person who is keeping your life together and, and doing it pretty well. How do we tap into that? And how do we, um, how do we show that we get that? And we know you're, you're gonna keep going. You know, there was this element of hope whenever we talked to people. Um, and one of it was, I was looking at some syndicated data. So Simmons research, which looks at how mm -hmm. people do things. Um, and this audience was more likely to buy lottery scratch-offs. And I thought, isn't that interesting? It's that, you know, hope is right around the corner. A better future is right around the corner, and it might be in this lottery ticket. And so that was what we really infused the creative with. Um, and there was really clever p placement. The whole idea was showing them all those little ways that the benefit of the ITC could help them day in and day out. So buying a little extra treat in the weekly groceries, filling up the car with gas, buying your child the new backpack and the new sneakers for school. Those little moments that just make you feel like you're doing a good job every day. Um, and we, we infused that throughout the whole campaign. We had ads that ran on gas pumps. We had um, branded grocery bags that were passed out to people to make that point about the, the groceries every week. Um, and we worked really cleverly with local partners to get the message out through some non-traditional channels. And then we did really rigorous tracking to show 
were we reaching the right people? In other words, did people see that campaign on the EITC? Um, did they know the, the key things that led to appropriate filing? Because a big job of the IRS is to get people to file their taxes properly. Um, and then had they filed? And we were able to show all of those things and track them back to the campaign itself and show that it was the communications from the IRS that made these things change. Um, that's a great example of strategy research and analytics really be gr being grounded in people's reality. Mm -hmm. It's not whiteboards and conference rooms and theories and all executed through media either. You're in people's world, going to the dominoes, talking to them, putting a message on a grocery bag, that yeah. sort of thing. Uh, any last thoughts for back to our audience of people interested in communications but aren't communications professionals by name, want to be smart about all this, in any category, what's a good um, piece of advice for them as they're thinking about how do I do this well when I've got a big, I want to like achieve something big at Im uh, big impact at scale? It's that idea of trust your audience, um, that people are really smart and really savvy, and they know when they're sort of being pandered to or talked down to, and they know when something is really genuine. You hear that word authentic a lot, mm. and authentic is just that, you know, that sense of I see myself here. I see that this is for me. These these people really get me, or this this uh, this piece of communication thinks the way I think or talks the way I th you know. It's that getting to there mm -hmm. to me is the single most hardest to achieve, but most rewarding thing to achieve. When you when someone sees a piece of communication and picks it up or laughs at it or whatever they do, that's when you've really succeeded. So do the hard, it's the upfront. It's, you know, people who work on in a foundation or in a nonprofit are really, really smart about the issue and the challenges and what needs to do. How do you translate that to your audience in a way that shows that you get what they know? They may not know as much as you. Mm. Um, but what do they need to know, and and where do they need to know? And really being really crisp about, I don't have to tell them the thirty things. I could just tell them these three, and that's going to get the job done. Good advice. Thank you very much.